sure. <laughs> are you guys are you guys ready yet? I actually wow. have to go to some in-service thing. Sort of, just so, so I have plenty of time. I just want to make sure you know that if I look antsy or look at my clock, it's just going to try What time do you have to be there? Not till 1. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Don't worry. We'll be fine. I'll be I, hungry I would, by then. I yeah. would hope so. Yeah, I was going to say, do we, yeah, when, when does the food arrive? Hours. I didn't see the cheese tray. <laughs> yeah, or, well, uh, if we had yeah. sponsors, I'd cater it, but we don't. Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and the content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. I'm so tired Cause this life I live is full of worries I struggle day to day but now I'm ready To be a part of it and make my life better Everybody, it's Todd Fredericks uh, at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, and um, we are now back for the second segment uh, with Dr. Melissa Thomas. She's one of our uh, epidemiologists, sociologists here at um, Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, the, arguably the best medical school in Ohio, probably the country, and certainly the largest medical school in Ohio. And what we all have to be proud of is the fact that the university whose name shall not be mentioned is not going to be the national champion. <laughs> but that the team that has one of uh, Athens' greatest yeah. football players probably will be the national champion if they can beat Clemson, <laughs> right? Joe Burrow like at it. LSU, right? Joe Burrow, yep. Which I know for you, school that shall not be mentioned people, <laughs> solves a big moral dilemma. Like, who are you going to actually root for in that game, right? You, you didn't know what to do, and now by the sheer grace of incompetence, you have been relieved of that responsibility, and now you can fully look at LSU and wear purple and not feel guilty. I think Joe Burrow has a special place in everybody's heart here in Athens. Uh, he's raised a half a million dollars yeah. through his yes. comment for the Athens Food Pantry. I mean, yeah, that's with his pretty buddy, awesome. His buddy, yeah, like that's... Who can ask for more? Who That's can awesome. ask for more, right? And he did it out of the goodness of his heart. And shall I remind everybody that Joe Burrow was up for the Heisman Trophy against two people from the university who should not be mentioned, <laughs> and he beat them both out because their coaching staff didn't know to retain him until he blossomed in his senior year. So just saying, go LSU Tigers. <laughs> That's only because the Bobcats can't even be close. So, But yeah, and they're cats. So yeah, we have to like LSU because they're, they're cats. All right. Okay, so with that, we'll get on. Melissa Thomas, thank you for coming back, and thank you for being willing to talk to us about your line of research, and specifically this community, which is so integral to Ohio and Ohio's identity, among many other communities, and also Sarah Atkins. Sorry, I was drinking coffee. Which you should do. I it's do part a of the lot. rules of rotation. You, you can take a drink, Melissa. Oh, you brought I, your I, smart I, water. I, I did. And I, then, it's really not that smart. It's just the gla- <laughs> It just looks. It like I refilled it this morning. It just is it, smart. it, is it a woke bottle? Uh, it is a yeah. It's a woke bottle. Oh, yeah, that's okay, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's I all, needed to be woke today, so this the, is well. There's all these terms that didn't exist when I was a child that I don't have to. I don't even try to learn them anymore because they come up with these new words all the time. Like, what does that even mean? I, I don't just know. use all the same words. They all mean the same thing. Do they? Okay. <laughs> it makes it simpler. Pi, speak in the microphone and say your full name. Um, it's Paricher. Yes. Do you have a last name? Yeah, it's Paricher Shureshi. Yeah. Where's that from? Uh, so they're both. Persian. She's Persian, and she is the minion of Dr. Sarah Atkins. Are you graduating this year, Pi? Are you going to get your doctorate this year? Yeah, uh, hopefully if everything goes well, I graduate May 2020. Good for you. Thank you. Good Congratulations. For you. And Thank we can you. talk about the Ohio State University because it's the only, well, no, it's not the only pharmacy school. No. I'm oh, going to no. beat that out afterwards, oh, no. yeah. Wow, yeah. But it's, it's the first pharmacy school. Yes? 
Was it the first pharmacy school in Ohio? I don't even know the answer. Oh, I, I should know the answer, answer to that. that. When, was, when was Ohio Northern? That's and what I'm like. It might have been Ohio Northern. It might the have first been Northern. pharmacy school in Ohio? I don't know. It probably was Ohio State. They're going to be so, so angry with me. Don't yeah. turn this off if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they know. And as soon as they start sending money, then I'll start mentioning their name. Uh, okay, so today, this episode, so, so just as a recapitulation, Dr. Thomas talked to us about why she went from microfish-loving meteorology aspirant <laughs> to looking at epidemiology and the experience she had with her mom's uh, journey through her disease and looking at cancer and then finding herself looking at breast cancer incidents in the Amish community because no one had ever thought to look at that. But I think to inform this discussion, I think we need to know about who the Amish are from the perspective of someone who is an outsider that works with them. And Melissa, how long have you worked with the Amish? It's been over 20 years. Yeah. So I think that's probably, you're probably informed. So why don't you tell us about the Amish? Who are they as a people? What's their deal? Yeah. And again, I, I offer that preface, right, that I'm, I'm not a member of the community, so I'm sharing my experiences as an outsider looking in. Um, but I've had the pleasure of talking, and especially from our conferences where Amish bishops and leaders of the community had a chance to ask some of these, answer some of these very questions. So I'm basing part of this, too, on the experience I had in talking to the, the community members. But um, I find what's fascinating about the Amish from a historical perspective, because I think sometimes we, we forget that historical piece. It makes such an important aspect of the community. But I've, we have to go back all the way to the 16th century, down to the Protestant Reformation. And I think what's, as we look so often at differences in communities, is that um, the Mennonite community actually was born first, which some people don't realize, you know, who comes first, the Amish or Mennonites. But we, it really comes down to this one distinct um, belief difference, and that was during the Protestant Reformation that a group believed in adult confession of faith or adult baptism, and this group called the Anabaptists was born because of that belief set. And this group was severely tortured, killed, mm -hmm. and persecuted for their beliefs in this one specific, you know, distinct belief set. And it was through that group that one of the leaders, Menno Simmons, emerged, and the Mennonite community was named for this man. And, and from this group then, there was another man who um, emerged as a leader named Jacob Amon, and from which the name Amish was born. But Jacob Amon believed in much more of a specific uh, distinction between um, separation from the outside world. And so there's a strong religious belief set in nonconformity. I mean, the Amish will tell you first and foremost that they're Christians. Um, their belief sets are all that different from many other Christian groups often not always believed that way because of their distinction more in their belief in being separate from the outside world. There's a term that's used in the that I hear others speak of, but never have I heard the community members speak of, and that is, I think the distinct belief set in, in many Amish and, and plain communities is that of a term that's referred to as Galassenheit, and it, it's really, some of you have heard that, but it's a best definition is really, um, believing in submitting oneself to a higher authority. Um, and that's really a strong belief set in the community of submitting to one's faith, to one's community, to one's um, leaders in that in that community. And I think that um, there's a strong belief set in um, humility and you know respect for others. Um, but there's also that um, great distinction in not being prideful because pride 
focuses more on oneself. So the, the community is really much more a collectivistic society where um, we'll see in other cultures that the most important thing, obviously, is faith um, and then family. And individualism is that last piece of the puzzle. So all actions are considered from that religious base into the community serving first and then back to family and individual. And I think that makes a distinction then in terms of many of the belief sets that the Amish have in trying to um, not engage in prideful activities. So um, having a lot of colorful clothing or um, makeup or jewelry, um, these are things that would um, contribute to that prideful or individualistic society. And so I think often one of the big misperceptions we see healthcare providers have is the Amish don't believe in technology or they shy away from it. And Many of the bishops will tell you that they're not against technology, but they're against anything that separate that, that takes away from that core religious or family value. One of our great friends, Amish Bishop um, Jacob Beachy, said that he had five boys, and if all five boys had a cell phone or had cars, he would never see them. And there's some value added in the time it takes to travel by horse and buggy, the family connection and the community that they have and engaging in that. So I think that's provided some really great perspective, I think, on, on that value set. And many would argue, I think, that that's a similar value set that, that rural communities have or, fa- or communities of faith have. I think most notably, though, is that distinct difference in how one dresses and maybe that use of modern technology and how it's incorporated um, within the community. I mean, one bishop argued that 100 years ago, there was really no difference between any of the families, right? We all had horse and buggy. Uh, you know, it was really their decision as a community and culture and how they accepted that advent of new technology through the last you know, century. This is an interesting thing because I grew up in California. And California is a weird state in that you live on a quarter acre lot with a big fence around you and none of your friends live next door to you. They all live 10 miles down the road. So I moved to Ohio. I was introduced to the concept of pop-ins. You guys know what pop-ins are? Sure. Yeah. I didn't know what a pop-in was. (laughs) Uh, And so, and I didn't think that it didn't think that it was, um, I thought this was just some sort of psychopathology within my own family. And so I was like, Okay, so like literally I'm in my house and suddenly people walk in, right? <laughs> uh, and like they don't make a phone call first of hand. And the, the, the first introduction I got to that that's not psychopathology was that Brian Plough, who's the co-founder of Rotations and my partner in crime in, in, in narrative medicine, Brian went to school out west. He grew up in Gilroy, California. We grew up in a very similar part of the state. We both are native Californians. We know each other. And he says, hey, you know anything about pop-ins? And I go, how do you know about poppins? I thought this was just psychopathology in my own family. He goes, oh, no, my family does it too, because he married a girl from Jackson. So in Appalachia, uh, it's very common, for those of you who are listening they are not here, that no one makes a phone call. They just show up at your house at any time they want to, and they walk right in through your back door, and they say, hey, I'm here. Yeah. Because the priority is communication and family. It's not, well, whatever you're doing on your cell phone or whatever you're watching on TV, that doesn't matter in the long term, right? Exactly. Make sense? It does. Yeah, so I think we still retain some of those vestiges down here Although not to the extreme that, say, the Amish would by not having any cell phones or technology to distract them. But, I mean, we walk around, oh, you kids, how many get hit by cars every day because they are looking at their phone all day mm-hmm. long instead of actually looking around the world and the people around them? I agree. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I agree. Continue, Melissa. We're, we're, we're talking about who the Amish are as a people and their community structure. What's that look like? 
Right. And and again, we, we talk a lot about these two world's largest Amish settlements here in Ohio and Holmes County area and the Jockey County area. But we do have dozens and dozens of Amish and Mennonite communities. So um, there are some Amish communities that have cars and some Mennonite communities that are horse and buggy communities. Mennonite so, communities that are horse and buggy and not yes. cars? Because we always the, the stereotype is that if you're that Mennonites are Amish light. Like, right, I could have a right, phone, I can have a right, car. But that's right. not true, huh? No, it's not. And there's a very large community down in uh, Ross County, outside Chillicothe, mm-hmm. Bainbridge area, that's a horse and buggy Mennonite community. And to the outside world, one would think this is an Amish community. Um, but I think it's an, important to know that each church district will have a set of guiding principles, often called the Ordnung or the Order of the Community. So um, often community decisions are made by um the community leaders by unanimous um, decision making. So, if there's a new, if there's a discussion, for example, about do we incorporate cell phones now within our church district, within our community, that would be selected by the the elders or the bishops of the community, and it would be something that would be accepted by the whole community. So, I mean, typically, when when uh, there may be a community that accepts um, gas generators, others that would not accept that. So, there are some just. I think it's truly an interpretation of how they view nonconformity and how they view um, certain technological advances or pieces and how that's going to add any value or structure or detriment to the belief sets of the community. Are those decisions made upon knowledge of individual predilections within the community? So if if the bishops think that there are people who will be vulnerable to maybe abusing that technology that they would say maybe it's too big of a risk for us to take because we know these people in our community would not be able to handle that? I think collectively there's a concern. I think mm. one of the, the big issues I've seen in communities is that uh, the acceptance, for example, of cell phones mm. and, that, and the, the danger, if you will, especially uh, in terms of accessing certain material on the internet in terms of pornographic material or having children exposed or young adults exposed to maybe more sexualized or... Um, other negative aspects of the world that they would not. So uh, some communities, for example, if a cell phone's accepted, it's, it's not a smartphone or it doesn't have access to the internet or doesn't have access to web-based services if there was some need for a business or something to have that. So, you know, it's really, it's really a decision made, but it, it's very diverse. So, um, like I said, we, we, there's a, a clinic we have in, um, closer and more in southwest Ohio, where at a time there were eight different church districts that came to that particular clinic. So some came by car, some came by horse and buggy, Very the most conservative to some of the most progressive came to that clinic and all had different belief sets in terms of how they accessed um, technology. And for us, what's been very critical in these areas is to make sure that our our program is based on the principle, again, is that communities know better how to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. They may not have the tools and resources maybe of, of um, education or research and materials. So we, we have champions in all of these areas and actually train certified community health workers who are Amish and Mennonite background that provide that cultural understanding in these communities so that before we make decisions, we, we have that um, expert, if you will, in the community to help guide us in terms of where we should be going and what we should be doing. So then what is the relationship between the Mennonites and the Amish today? Um, I would say it would depend on the the church and the structure, but I think there are communities that that still respect one another for their faith. I mean, one of the probably biggest differences one sees in the communities is, again, that acceptance or adherence to a particular type of lifestyle and acceptance Mm -hmm. of certain technological or... um, you know, advances that we have there, you know, often we'll see that if an Amish youth or young adult 
leaves the Amish faith, um, often we'll see that that community member will, will join a Mennonite church so that they'll have more access to some of the, you know, schooling or resources or cars and other technology that they want to have. So um, we see that in communities and, and often still there is a lot of acceptance and, and I think um, appreciation, respect for the different cultures and the belief sets that they have. Yeah. One thing that I witnessed anecdotally was that you would see people in the Mennonite community that basically didn't want to live as austere a life as the Amish, but still wanted to say go to medical school. Yes. And they would come back yes. as Mennonite doctors to support an Amish community. Yes. And they would have relatives in the Amish community. Yes. And they still had relations with them. Absolutely. And the, the, their family members would come and know to come to them as an, a Mennonite doctor. In fact, that, it's been 20-some-odd years ago, so I don't know how it is now in Holmes County, but that was a big thing is that the the preference of recruitment was we prefer a Mennonite doctor if we could get one. Absolutely. Does that make sense? That Absolutely. resonates too? Absolutely. They, at least it seemed like they were sort of mutually self-supporting, that some of the needs that could not be met in the more austere, in the greater austerity of the Amish communities by sort of synergism, they kind of figured out, well, we can have a Mennonite group that can help provide those services and still be appreciative of our the cultural distinctions and the and the relationships and the family values that we have. Exactly. And also the language. I mean, one of the things that mm. um, we, we take for granted is that the, the Amish are, are bilingual, in some cases trilingual. And English is a second language. Children often don't learn to speak English until they start school. And um, the, the main language that's spoken is often, there's some question, but often referred to as a dialect of German, mm -hmm. and that's still a little loose, but um, the language is, is an oral language, so it's typically not written, and it's a very oral, and it's a dead language, so new technology, new words are not brought into the into the language structure. So we, we take for granted, I think, and it's been my experience and experience of our team members over the years that, um, you know, an Amish member may come into a hospital, and they speak perfect English, so we think we're good to go. But again, they are still often translating what you're saying into their original language. And since the language is mm. a dead language, words that we know may not be understood by the community. And hospitals are getting this. Pomerine Hospital in Holmes County was the first to bring on a, um, you know, a, an Amish ambassador or, you know, we're talking about patient navigators, but a community navigator who's from the community who can speak the language. And even in our clinics, we always have an Amish or Mennonite lead at the clinic who speaks in Pennsylvania Dutch to the women. And they appreciate that. Um, it makes the experience more comfortable for the community members. And I think often in um, hospital systems, again, English is understood and it's so well, well interpreted, but it's still often a language that's only spoken outside the home. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because there's this sort of flow in and out of those communities too. The the thing I want you to talk about, it's a little bit of a weird di diversion, is Rumspringa. Yeah. Right? So, the, right. so there's this weird phenomenon that occurs where you'll see a buggy show up and then a bunch of kids pile out. And next thing you know, they're in English Western clothing taken off in cars. Right. What is Rumspringa? And it's it's something that's become so popularized in, in some of the, the docudramas and the, the fake reality Well, there's some shows. really horrible television yeah, out absolutely. there, too, right? So, and, I mean, they, that, they talk about that. And that's changed a lot. I mean, 2011, we saw the advent of multiple shows that came on and reputable, what I thought, TV stations like National Geographic or Yeah, why did they do Channel. that? What was the, was it just sensationalism to absolutely. exploit this vulnerable community that's not going to fight back? Right, and it was a great moneymaker. People well, it was terrible. People curious about the community. <laughs> and it did a lot of damage. Yeah, we I'm sure it did. We certainly saw... 
Um, and even the Amish saw, as, as they made more of a presence out in the communities, that people believed this stuff. And what became so sensationalized in these shows was obviously what was known as Rumspringa or mm-hmm. this, um, you know, often referred to as sowing the wild oats. I think in some ways it's a, from an outside perspective it's actually a fascinating concept right so you know since again this is a faith that believes in the adult confession of faith one does not join the church until one is an adult and it's a lifelong commitment to the church mm. so before that commitment is made not all even though it's perceived as such um there are youth it's not encouraged it's not but there are some youth saying well i want to go out there and see what the world's about before i make this commitment mm-hmm. and so um you'll hear of of youth who you know, may engage in in drinking or smoking or other behavior, dressing up as as um, quote English or non Amish, and experiencing the real world. And I almost think you know it's funny to me because I think of of even my own youth because I had such a sheltered maybe bizarre youth and that I just microfish right I was I was the microfish girl um so I feel like I relate more to I, I totally I, I respect that I, I think exposed. it's the coolest thing I've ever heard but you know, imagine me though I mean I, th- I imagine my own life like I'd never been exposed to anything outside the world so you know you go out there and you have two beers you're gonna get drunk and sick and throw yeah. up and this is a hor- <laughs> you know, smoking imagine anything like that done as excesses you're like this is horrible yeah. I don't want to live this life this is what this is about in the yeah. world but um, but so and again, it's not the Amish bishops and, and families will tell you it's not something that's encouraged. But um, I think it's a way for for youth to make to make that decision. Is this really the commitment that I want to make in life? And so um, and I, I think, again, it's done in excess in many of these shows. Yes, you'll see the news story about the buggy that was pulled over that had the beer in it with the big stereo speakers <laughs> and and some kid that's acting out. But what? What youth doesn't do that? I think you know what I mean. Other than maybe myself and the science fair projects, but but what youth what youth doesn't isn't curious and want to explore that. But again, in my twenty some years, it's been the exception rather than the rule. Mm. And I know other some communities face it far more than others. We certainly see communities talk more about mental health issues, um, talking about exposure to drugs. Um, you know, the Amish will tell you themselves they're not immune from these things. Um, they never put themselves on a pedestal. They never think they're better than other communities. They're, they're, they have the same issues and exposure to many, if not all of the issues that we see in other communities. Hmm. Yeah, I, I witnessed from Spring Up in Giaga when I was up there as a medical student. And um, I, I had to go to Middlefield because that's where Giaga County Airport was. When I was sneaking away from my third and fourth year rotations to go fly, um, I would go right through the middle of Middlefield. And I'd be, see, you know, see... Amish on scooters, you'd see Amish everywhere. So I saw them, and I'd saw I see them go up the store in a buggy, and they get out and they go around the right. back of the store and come around, almost like this continuous conveyor belt where they come back out and they close and get in the car and take off. Yeah, happened every Friday, and so so yeah, and I, I got to believe that that again, it's probably I'm sure it's sensationalized. And, I, and what I what I'm what I'm curious about is how many kids that do that end up returning back to the Amish community. Is the pull of community so strong that? most of them end up back in the Amish community. You know, they do. And there's a, an amazing uh, researcher colleague and friend of mine um, from that college you don't want to name, uh, but Professor Joe Donmeyer. <laughs> they have a big endowment. Uh, he's, a, he's a rural sociologist. <laughs> and he's, he's done some amazing... Lack of insight in the football coaching staff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, but Joe Donmeyer, he's one of the good guys. Yeah. And, uh, they have he's, a better hockey team. He's yeah. done... <laughs> 
Now remember, you're talking to someone who knows so little about sports. I, I hate to say that. Oh, I know. We got to start going to hockey, Melissa. I was. I would love to. I, I, oh, you? I, you gonna play next week? I. I need to be there. It's I need. The I need to finally pick a sport. It's I amazing. was hockey. No, hockey. I, hockey. On a sidebar in the honors dorm at that college uh, that I don't want to mention, we were so naive and so foolish that the boys on the sixth floor would come down to the all-girls floor, and mm-hmm. we all bought football tickets because it was just, I think it was, 40, it was 49 bucks, but we never went. So oh. the boys would come down, and they would say, hey, I know you bought the <laughs> ticket. We'll buy it off of you for face value. And we sold our, our full-season ticket which we could have made. You could have made bank. Wow. We didn't know. What were so you thinking? We thought it was great. They were buying it from us, and we didn't have to worry about it. And so that's wow. what. That's do you know what I'm why I like with. having this conversation? Microfiche. <laughs> microfiche. Do, do you know why I like this? We're just gonna keep saying you microfiche. Are so, microfiche and fish. <laughs> microfiche. I know. Microfiche. Microfiche may be the more microfiche. Classically, I don't know. I think you're, Sarah, you're more classically <laughs> trained in this topic. Area. Oh, I used it. I remember using All it at the did. library. But you know what? Oh, no yeah. one, probably anyone listening to this, is not going to even understand what it is. <laughs> well, no, there's some older people. Okay. Yeah, no, that's cool. But that's all good. of us, all of us in that generation, understand the extreme value of PubMed. Yes. Right. Yeah. We all know. We Amen. all think that's just awesome. And Iliad. Like, oh, yeah. like yes, I, thank I need you. articles. Here, do this for me. And, oh, yeah. and thirty minutes later, it's in my box. Like, oh, yeah. who had that? Like, I, like I mentioned magic. Index Medicus, and I'm like. They like glaze, glaze over. You have no idea how horrible it was to do research like 50 oh, years ago. Oh, I know. It absolutely right? is true. Yeah. So the reason why I like having this conversation is I have an 18-year-old. Just to reassure you, because see, I see his future through you. Like you have an actual oh. legitimate job that's changing things for the better, right? <laughs> so my son, 18, his biggest gift that he wanted was a lightsaber. So, I mean, I have one of those kids in my house. He didn't even know Microfish existed. Hey, she doesn't but know Star Wars, so simplify I know. it. Simplify you know what a lightsaber that. is. I do know what that is. She knows what that is. Give so, it a hard time. So Thank you, Sarah. Talking to you out. means that there's hope for my youngest son. He's going to do great things in his life. He is. Right? He is. So, so, the, so we were talking about room spring, and we know it's a rarity. What about what about what if, what happens to an Amish person that do they ever have lapses in in their life later on when they say maybe I don't want to be Amish anymore maybe I want to be a Mennonite what happens to them do they get shunned by their communities um, and again very broad yes. you know interpretation of this I should bring back though to the issue of how many children leave please and, and Joe Donnermeyer Professor Joe Donnermeyer has done a tremendous amount of work he's a yeah. he's actually a rural criminologist but has done at the Ohio State University mm-hmm. okay. and he's done see I said that respectfully because he's a professor he is yeah. and, and he's a great guy I'm sure he uh, is a great friend of the project but he's actually been the one to, to explore migration patterns understanding the population numbers across the United States he's probably the leading expert in knowing uh, those those population numbers. So one of the interesting things about the directory uh, that we were talking about earlier is that all the children are listed, and in these directories they list um, a coding system of whether or not the children have stayed with a community or mm-hmm. went to another community or if they left. And Joe's explored those patterns and found out that often in, to know the the ability of a community to thrive is based on its its doubling rate of its population, right? Mm-hmm. And for the Amish community, their doubling rate um, of their population is is a little over twenty years, which is a very fast yeah. doubling rate. They stay in the community, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think again, it's that pull of community, pull of faith. Often, the bishops will talk about it's one thing to know that. Um, no matter where you are in an Amish community, you know that you, you're there for one another. You have mm-hmm. that support structure, which so often in today's society they don't have. So it's very much so. But you're right. There are, there are um, 
there's a very strong distinction that one when one joins the church, that is a life commitment. And uh, there has been even a, a couple uh, individuals with whom we've worked on our project who felt a calling later in life to be able to go back to nursing school, go back to school, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, who had already joined the church and had to make the difficult decision to leave once they joined. And in many communities, that this is a very serious time. The Amish bishops with whom we work from many different churches will tell you that often you hear the communities talk about shunning of a community member who has done some transgression or left the community. And it's a it's a very difficult time for the, the community. And often the, the bishops will speak of shunning as an act of true love. Um, often in, in the earlier days, some communities, if a, if a child left the community and chose not to be part of the community or leave the faith, they would often still leave a table setting for that child at the table years later um, to make sure that the the family never forgot that child was always welcome home. Are they, though? Yes. I I think in many communities, we all sin. No no one is perfect, right? I mean, the the faith base of this community. So there are times, you know, for example, say that there's... um, I mean, they have a obviously there's a belief set and a biblical teaching of how one should act, behave. Surely, and if if one if one commits a sin or or um, commits something, then then typically an individual may be shunned from that church or going to church for a while until one asks for forgiveness and asks for forgiveness not from God but of the church and of the community. And other there are other faiths that have a similar type right belief set where you're just not sinning against yourself or sinning against uh, you know sins against God but you're actually you're having a transgression that's affecting the whole community or affecting the whole church so um, well we've known of individuals who may have you know had problems with alcohol or mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe just really wasn't a good husband or had issues and so um, often w- w- when talking to a member of the community doesn't work, then they may be shunned for a short period of time. But we certainly, my anecdotal experience is that through the years, we've seen a lot more um, forgiveness and understanding. Now, clearly we've worked in communities where there's been an individual who chose to leave, and that particular church may choose to completely excommunicate that individual. They'll be respected, but they'll have limited roles within that community. Mm-hmm. But it's it's truly meant from their perspective to be done out of love. Um, and we're generalizing, too. I mean, Yes, we are. I mean, there are Amish communities now all over the United States. In fact, I know there are Amish communities globally. Right, and we have 31 states here in the U.S. that just have Amish communities, not, not to mention all the Mennonite faiths so that we have. So that's the thing. What I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, Melissa, is that 24-year-old Amish girl that says, I want to be a nurse, I feel like I've got the talents and gifts to do that, and decides that they're going to – because Amish education typically ends about eighth grade. Yes. Is that right? So they decide, I'm going to go into a Mennonite community, become a nurse. Right. She's not going to have a problem going back and see mom and dad at their house as Amish people, typically, in a general sense. In the general sense. She no. just won't be part of the Amish community dealings. Right. But she's still a family member, and she's still someone that they know. And do they respect that? Do they see value in that? I mean, generally speaking, my experience has been in the communities I've worked, yes. They I see think. that there could be a reason why someone leaves and if there's still a person that's practicing a devout faith, I, I would have to believe that they see value in that too. It, my experience has been with the families we've known that yeah. has been that has been appreciated. So of course, the wish of any of any parent of any family is to obviously, you know, um, stay as part of the faith, stay part of the family. And so I think that's a um, you know a general belief set. Um, and I, I think the Amish certainly have much more. I think of a of a 
boundary or parameter of how that belief set should work and function. But typically an Amish family is going to want their Amish children to, to continue the faith and be part of the family and practice the same values and religious beliefs that they have. And that's definitely much appreciated. But we've certainly seen of the families we know where children chose to leave, whether members or not, they were still so loved and valued by the community and stayed an active part of their family function. So, oh, go ahead, guys. Do you have a question? Mm-hmm. You, fine? Uh, I just had one. Uh, like uh, so it's just like more for my learning uh, aspect. So most of the time, me personally, when I want to get to know like a community, like there are like, I would say three main topic. I always interested to know like what are the restrictions or like red lines or uh, about uh, those topics. First thing is like uh, if they want to like marry with someone that is out of that community are there allowed, are there rules to it or restriction? And the other one is like how open they are to express their sexuality if it doesn't necessarily like fit in the category of being a straight or like gender identity. Mm-hmm. Those are great questions. I I know that we, one of our community health workers on our project, um, formerly used to joke that she's Mennonite, but she was raised Amish. And she Mm -hmm. joked that, um, well, what happened was she, uh, her brother had a a friend who was a Mennonite boy. And she said, my, my, my story started when I fell in love with a Mennonite boy. And so she chose not to join the Amish church. She became Mennonite um, and continued, you know, her faith in that capacity. So um, it is possible to marry in other faiths or customs, but there would definitely be, you know, I mean, and it's not, it's very rare, but in some cases there have been love stories where an English man fell in love with an Amish woman and chose to live the Amish faith and became a member of the Amish uh, church. Um, But typically in those cases, that same value set or belief set would have to be adhered. Um, I know we just had a a lecture here at Ohio University um, where we had three Amish bishops talk about a photo book project we had. And one of the questions that was raised during this question and answer session was talking about, you know, how the community viewed, for example, LGBT issues. And um, I know we continued that discussion after the, the topic. I think two interesting things about that happened was that the one Amish bishop with us was his second time only ever speaking to a crowd. And he's an amazing man, uh, but he's youngest of the three of the bishops. And what surprised him was not that the question was asked, but the response to the question. And I think that, and, and this may be, this is a little off topic, but I think it speaks to, I think the, just the value and appreciation at Ohio University students, staff, and faculty of working with other cultures. Because I think that what shocked um, the bishop was that they respected his answer. So there were, you know, a number of, of there were a group of women who came up and asked, what do you think of LGBT issues? And and again, in some ways, the Amish find it easy to answer such questions because they base all of their values on biblical teaching and their biblical understanding and belief set is that clearly acting um, in a in a lifestyle that is not, you know, typically a heterosexual lifestyle is not something that would be accepted um, and not be um, approved in society. And uh, I think what shocked the uh, the bishop was that the the the, the, those who asked it were respected their belief set. They weren't there mm-hmm. to debate or not value that, that that was their belief set. And I think, and follow up to that, one of the bishops, a good friend of, of ours as well, said that, um, you know, I think maybe like in other religious groups that um, 
they love everybody. And so if there was someone from the community who identified as, as transgender or LGBT other, in other capacity, it's not they wouldn't love that person, but it would be the actions of that person that wouldn't be accepted. And we see that in other religious beliefs as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so no, that would be a lifestyle that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be accepted. I think in some cases, again, anecdotally, there's no research on this topic that I know, is that I think that for a, for a, a man or a woman who may identify as gay or lesbian would probably choose if they wanted to stay with the faith, they wouldn't marry, or they would not choose to act on uh, in a in a a lifestyle openly, you know, about that community because it would be against the beliefs and value sets of that community. Um, but that's a, those are great questions to have, and again, would vary across the groups. But I think in general that would be the case. I want to close this segment with one. One question, too, that we've talked about individuals in the community. How are the Amish with respective communities? Do they have interaction, or is there tension between communities of Amish people? How does that work, the boundary lines between various sects of Amish? I think that there's there truly is an appreciation across the different church districts. Um, I mean, often I think what you'll find is that, uh, and this isn't surprising, is that with you know, the last 20, 30, 40 years with, with all the advent of new technology that's brought into our everyday lives, we often sometimes see that church districts will begin to accept more technology within their homes and mm-hmm. lives. And so they may become less conservative and as a church may choose to break off or leave because their beliefs are that way. Mm. I have seen one example in the last 20 some years where a church felt they were accepting too much technology and actually moved backwards, became more conservative as a church in their belief set. Um, so I think there's a general appreciation, respect of how a church and a group chooses to uh, live their lifestyle. I think that there are some less conservative Amish communities that sometimes struggle with some of the belief sets of the most conservative that are the least likely to accept any technological changes who still live maybe without running water still don't have rubber tires that live a very difficult life and i think for some of the more uh, progressive communities i think they themselves struggle sometimes with the decisions that are made by these more conservative groups Interesting. I should tell people who don't know a lot about the Amish, too, that every major farm implement manufacturer in this country makes Amish-compatible farm equipment. So you can buy brand-new tractors that have steel wheels, and they will do that specifically because you can go into Amish country in Ohio and see brand-new New Holland tractors or John Deere tractors, and they have steel wheels, and they run off a generator. Uh, so there's a sensitivity to the impact of the Amish as agriculturalists and what they do by major manufacturers who try to meet the needs of what you're talking about. That if an Amish community says we don't use rubber tires for whatever reason, there's a manufacturer that's gonna make them a product that they'll be able to use in their day-to-day life. It's pretty interesting. That impact is far reaching, yeah. even within the um, in the English communities that try to, try to adapt and, and meet the needs. It's interesting. You good for a third segment if we go to one? I'd love to, Okay, because yes, we're gonna you. talk in the third segment more about health delivery within the Amish community, not necessarily in the context of breast cancer. We can talk about that too. Sarah, do you have anything for this one to close in? I've had a little bit of experience with Amish communities in a clinic that I work in. And I have to say that I think that simpler lifestyle can be appealing for a lot of people. Like I think it's simple, it's um, hardworking, it's um, very generous. It's, I I, I admire it actually. I, I watch them and I think, wow, that's, it's nice that everybody, the community is good, the families are tight, um, they love each other deeply. It just is, 
for me as an outside person not being in the community and seeing how their community operates, I, I admire their simple, hardworking, generous lifestyle, mm-hmm. what yeah. I've seen. Mm-hmm. How about you, Pai? Yeah, I'm on the same boat with Sarah, especially like when it comes to family values and everything. I'm coming from a ethnicity that it's all about like, um, kind of like based a lot on family values and is uh, respecting parents and most of the time their decisions that they're making for you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's amazing if you learn how to uh, take a vacation where you don't look at your cell phone or email, how much better you feel after you're done. That's a very, we've created this crazy Pavlovian dystopia with our email and our cell phones and our text messaging, which really most of it's just a bunch of junk. It doesn't need to be dealt with. And yet we just constantly are responding like a salivating dog on a piece of steak. It's just terrible. And they don't have to deal with that in most cases. And they deal with it at a much slower rate, Mm -hmm. which allows adaptability and time for consideration and thoughtful decisions. And should we do the right thing here instead of these snap decisions that are usually wrong? And it's really, I mean, they're really my... My life-changing experience in working with the communities is definitely in, in in teaching patience and humility, but in mindfulness. I mean, when we're not distracted by all these other factors and phones and, mm-hmm. and TV and email, you, you really do live in the moment. And there's such an appreciation. Um, and I think that adds to the next segment of talking about just how healthcare is perceived in the community. And I think that perspective really does shed light, I think, in many of the decision-making processes that um, Amish families will encounter and experience experience when addressing healthcare. I, I I think that's perfect. I have nothing to add to that, Melissa. We're, we're going to end that with that. That's awesome. Great. Thank you. Well, thank, well, you. well, thank you, Sarah and Pi and Melissa for being here for this. And uh, we'll, we'll go to the next one. And then the people who are listening to this, the beauty of rotations right now is that I have full control over production, which means that this will actually be aired not a year from recording, but probably about uh, two or three months. Depends on how I get it into the rotation cycle. You'll see. It might even be sooner than that. But um, So this is pretty timely. It is uh, January 8th right now, 2020. So you can hold me to account. Send me some bad comments on uh, Gmail if you don't like the fact that it shows up how later than you wanted it to. But at that, on that, I will end this segment of rotations, and we'll get you on the next time. Thank you for being here. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. This episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we sometimes pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content or the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators. You must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema for Todd, at Prof Plow for Brian, Nisarg Bakshi for Nisarg Bakshi, and at Rotations PCAST, or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations. 
Check us out on Facebook at Media in Medicine. And finally, from me, Todd Fredericks, you can also send me a message through my Facebook page at TR Fredericks. But please, I have a sensitive feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater. I see no